Jesus. Hallelujah. You've set this prisoner free, and I thank you, Lord, for it. Woo. Well, <clears throat> see if I can get myself together here now. <laughs> thank you so much, choir and Ed. You know, as God has just had this so heavy on my heart uh, for, for months now, I want to leave you with some foundations for your faith that will strengthen and empower us on into the days ahead. God has been blessing greatly. Our search committee is going to bring a report in just a little while. But God has been blessing so wonderfully in that process. And you have been faithful in your prayers and in your encouragement for this team. And they are phenomenal. But in preparation for uh, a new pastor coming, we want to be firmly anchored on a good foundation that is going to not only help us during whatever interval period of time there may be, but put us so strong and so dead on the money that's going to be encouraging for a new pastor. He's going to come in and grab a hold and just, just take off in the direction that we, God's been giving us. It's going to be phenomenal. Remember here are the three words, three phrases. Love God. Love people. Serve both. This is who we are. This comes out of the, the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And then it grows out of the great commission that we're to go into all the world, uh, discipling people, making disciples out of folks. These two uh, great foundational passages upon which the church is built provide us with these three phrases, love God, love people, and serve both. So we dug into that. Okay, Brother Fred, what's it look like? How do I live that out in my life to love God? And so we dug down deep into the Word. That's how we find out. That's how we do that. And so we dug into what it means to, to follow Jesus. said, if any man follows after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And then he said, the key to this is abiding, we learned in, in John 15, 5. That if you abide in me, if you, if you live in me, if you draw your, your life essence and purpose and direction from me, then then you're going to bear great fruit. And that fruit will always remain. That's the promise of the word there. And then he took that word abide and he went a little further still. And he said, now if you abide in my word, if you abide in my word, then you're my disciples indeed. And you're going to know the truth, and the truth is going to set you free. And then out of abiding in the word and, and abiding in Christ, then, then we get to pray in truth. That's what we looked at last week. That as we're abiding in him, that's the essence of who we are, and we're firmly grounded in the word of God, then we lift up our hands in prayer, and we pray the truth. We pray in the truth, and we pray the truth back to God. So this is our vertical anchor. This is the cross as it goes up and down. The cross right here. This is the part that goes up and down. This anchors us in the solid soil of the word of God. And it reaches up to God. But the cross has a, a horizontal dimension. And that's where we're moving today. That vertical dimension is loving God. The horizontal dimension is is loving people. Now listen to me very carefully. You've got to flow out of your love for God to love people. This is essential. You know, there are people out there that are lost, that don't know Christ at all, that are very caring and concerned about other people or other things. Uh, they're, they're worried about uh, the orphans. Uh, they're worried about the tiny frogs that are growing extinct. They're, they're, they're worried about all kinds of these different things. And they're very, they're very giving. They're very caring. But there is a unique quality 
of loving people that flows out of a love relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what we're wanting to focus on today. And that's why we want to go to this passage in John chapter 13. And listen to it again. He says, a new commandment I give to you. That you love one another. And then he gives us a measuring rod. Even as I have loved you, that you love one another. That's that's potent to hear and understand that. It's not just some flippant, yeah, yeah, you're nice. But as Christ has loved us, we're to love one another. And by us doing this, by us loving one another, the world is going to know. The world's going to sit up and take notice. You know, that's exactly what happened in the early church. We find that in in Acts chapter 2. That is, they were loving one another, caring for one another, meeting together, nurturing one another, uh, holding one another accountable as they were growing together. The world looked and said, I don't know what's going on over there, but I want some of that. And that's exactly what Jesus is promising. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, come and, and, and hover real close to us as we make this transition from loving you into loving people and understand that they flow one to the other. That the more we fall in love with you, the greater our concern and our love for others. Lord, unpack that before us over the course of these next few weeks. Let us see what that looks like. Let us, let us try it on and walk in it like a brand new pair of shoes. Let us live it every day. And let us be that church that because of our love for you and our love for one another, that this lost world sees something they want. Genuine caring and concern. Let it be so, Lord, we ask. In Christ's name, amen. Now, loving people, this horizontal dimension, uh, has two aspects to it. Uh, That's loving one another. That's loving the church. We're going to get into that in just a few moments. And then the other is loving people that don't know the Lord. And we're going to dig into that next week. So I'm just not going to deal with that side of the cross right now. I'm just going to deal with this side over here where it says loving one another. And let me emphasize, I can't say this too much. Our love for others have to flow out of our love for God. If you're not growing in your love relationship with God, you're probably not growing in your love relationship with other people either. One naturally flows through the other. See, God's love is transformational. It's changing things in my life and in yours. And as that love grows, our attitude changes for other people. And we we begin to step out because of that love and do things that we would ordinarily not do. Can I share something with you that that I don't often share, but it's, it's absolutely true. By nature, I am shy and I'm a loner. I would very much prefer, you know, to, to, to just draw my little circle around me and my family and just a very few and, and, and just, just live there. And I can be very happy with that. But as God began to do a work in my heart, as he began to transform me and, and the very basic DNA of who I was, he said, now here's where you need to grow. You need to grow and enlarge your tent. <laughs> you need to enlarge your, your camp you need to enlarge those that you love and that you serve them, me by serving them. And me venturing forth out of shyness 
me venturing forth out of the, the comfort and the context of my smaller family and engaging you and engaging others and engaging folks I don't even know. This flowed out of my growing love relationship with God. And that's part of how he transfers you. Look, I can't pay you enough money to get you to share your faith with somebody else. I know I've tried. I've offered people money, okay? But the more you fall in love with Jesus Christ, the more natural it is for you to talk to people about that love. As he is the central focus of who you are, it's more and more natural for for you to share who you are in Jesus Christ. You see how we start with the abiding, and we're living in the Word, and we're praying in truth, and, and this dimension gives rise to this. And don't ever try to divorce one from the other. And it's so amazing. Jesus said, by this, by their love for one another, the world's going to know that you're really mine. That you're really mine. It's not because of your, your great Christian lifestyle and all the things you don't do. It's not because of your phenomenal testimony. It's not even because of your generosity. You know, you can, you can spend a lifelong time telling other people how bad they are and how wonderful you are. And you're probably not going to have a single person come up to you and say, you know, tell me what you got. That condemning attitude that looks down a prideful nose at others is never going to win anybody to faith in Christ. But you go out and love people. That makes a difference. Now, let, let me explain something to you. Who's the one another? This is really important because he says it three times. If he says it once, it's important. Twice is doubly important. Three times, we better pay attention. <laughs> Who's the one another? It's, he was speaking to the disciples, speaking to those who were believers, speaking with those who had invested their lives in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're focusing today on how that love looks within the body of Christ. This is essential. There's a love we need to have for the lost people in the world. We're going to talk about that later, but right now we're talking about the love that, that really impacts that world is when they see how we're loving one another. Let me, let me clue you in on something. Jesus Christ loves his church. He adores his church. He is invested in his church. He is present with his church. He absolutely is crazy about his church. I would say even as you are for your spouse, but some of you don't look like you might be real excited about that. I don't know. Okay. Can you imagine for a moment being in love with Jesus Christ but despising his bride, the church? Now, just let me, let me tell you, let's, let's put it on flesh and blood. You, you, may, you may say, well, Brother Fred, I just love you. I think you're the best thing ever happened and so on and so forth. But that Valeria, oh, my goodness. <laughs> Don't like her at all. Can't stand to be around her. It's not going to be long before me and you have trouble. You know Why? Because I adore that woman. I love that woman. She is so much my life, okay? And, and everything about our lives are intertwined. 
And I don't say that she can't do any wrong, but I sure ain't going to admit it to you. here's, Here's the key. It is absolutely impossible to grow in your love relationship with Jesus Christ and not also be in love with his bride, the church. Those two are mutually exclusive. You are fooling yourself if you think you're growing in your love relationship with Jesus Christ if you are not invested and engaged in his bride, the church. Hear me here. This is serious stuff. Do you really want to stand before Jesus Christ and tell him, I love you, but I would never have anything to do with your bride? You know what my thinking is? I'm thinking he would say to you, you know, you really never knew me and I never really knew you. Because to love me is to love my bride. To love me is to love the church. Listen to you folks. I need the church. You need the church. We need this relationship of loving one another, caring for one another, holding one another responsible, nurturing one another, correcting one another. We need one another. We we cannot fulfill the great commission by ourselves. We cannot fulfill the great commandment by ourselves. When Jesus was responding to the lawyer, and he said, what is the great commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second one is just like it. You love your neighbor as yourself. When you divorce those two, you are correcting Jesus Christ and explaining to him that he's wrong. This is serious stuff. Because he said, it's how, when you love the bride, when you show your need for one another. Listen, Jesus never created you to live your spiritual life in a vacuum. There are very few people that he calls upon to go out into areas that don't even know the name of Jesus Christ. And they have to live there virtually alone except for Christ, sharing the gospel. But the goal is very soon that others would come to faith in Christ and then they'll bind together. We need one another to share our heartaches. We need one another to share our joys. We need one another to pool our abilities and our talents and our resources together to reach our community for Jesus Christ. We can't fulfill the great commandment and great commission by ourselves. And let me just clue you in on something else. We can't do it as an individual church either. We have to be part of a larger body, the church, to fulfill what God has us to be doing here. To be engaged with the local church is essential. It's absolute. Now, as I've spent my entire adult life living in the church, serving God through his church, I found that there are two key kinds of personalities in the church. The first of those personalities I want to refer to as nurturers. They're they're nurturers. They nurture the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And we see that in Acts 2, 44, that all who believed were together and they had all things in common and they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had a need. And they continued daily in one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. And they, when they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart and praising God and having favor with all the people, and God added to the church daily those who were being saved. They were nurturing one another. Practically as well as spiritually, they were there holding up one another. And that love was so demonstrated, so actively clearly demonstrated, that the world looked in and said, wow, wow, something's going on over here that we need to be engaged in. It is God's will for every believer to be engaged in nurturing the body of Christ. Nurturing one another, caring for one another, loving one another, being there for one another. You know, this has been the greatest pain and misery of going through this pandemic is that for so many times we haven't been able to be together. And let me tell you, my soul was shriveling. It was shriveling inside because we, we grow by being together. Now, now, I know there are a lot of you at home, you still can't come back yet for a wild variety of reasons. We understand that. But don't you miss it too? Don't you miss that being together with God's people? And we hope very soon you'll be able to be back with us. But, but now as we're beginning to gather back together, at first we could be together, but we had to be separated from one another. Couldn't get within six feet of one another. Kind of wave at one another, you know. Gave up the holy, the holy kiss for the holy wave, all right. It hurt us. And so right off the bat, when we realized that we were going to have to, to be separated from one another, we are going to have to quarantine, we are going to have to stay in homes, one of the very first things we did was with our deacons and our small group leaders, we said, look, it is imperative that we stay in touch with one another, that we use the phone, that we use media, that we use anything and everything we can to continue to have some kind of contact with one another, because this is our lifeblood to love one another, care for one another, be with one another, admonish one another, teach one another, worship together with one another. And so that's what motivated us those 18 months to stay after finding a way that we could be together because fellowship is that important. And I'm so glad that you're here today and our, our, our second service is going to be have so many in it as well because together we can do what we can never do alone. And let me tell you, one of the expressions of nurturing is God growing a giving heart. God growing a giving heart. Let me in. Let me be transparent with you. This is not how I was brought up. I was brought up very miserly that you held on to everything that you have and you don't really give it out to anybody. You got to work to earn it. I, I had to work from the earliest age. And if I wanted something other than the bare necessities, I had to buy it myself. And that's how it was. So then, then after I was saved, one of the things I, I heard about was that as God transforms your heart, you look around and you see other people and you see needs. You see people that are hungry. You see people that are having difficult times. And if it's within your capacity to do so, you give. 
And, and the, the, the means we have to do that is collectively here within the church. When Valeria and I first got married, okay, we were, we, uh, I, I was still in college, okay, I don't encourage kids to do this anymore, but I was still in college, we were both still kids as a matter of fact. And when we got our first paycheck together, we sat there and wrote out that tithe check. We didn't have two dimes to rub together. But there was no question but that we were going to be engaged in supporting our church. Why? Because we had to? No, because it was our privilege to do. Because God had done something here in our heart that had transformed me specifically. Valeria grew up giving. But, but me specifically to change that miserly heart into something that someone that, that gives. And it's been our privilege to lead our church in giving for all the years that we've been able to be here. I read a story here about a little boy that he was in worship and he saw his father put a dollar in the offering plate as it came by. On the way home, his dad, he was, he was griping about the, the choir and the soloist was off key and he was spoofing the pastor and everything. And the little boy from the back seat says, well, dad, I thought it was a pretty good show for a buck. You know, what do you invest it in? When you invest in your church, it changes all of that, my friends. Because it's not just investing your money, you're investing your life. You see, we do life together. We do life together. You don't hear this phrase much anymore, but I think it's one that we need to revive. People used to say, I belong to First Baptist Church. I, I belong to Grace Presbyterian Church. I belong. And what they were communicating, there is a sense of me that has roots and commitments there. That, that's where I exercise my talents. That's where I exercise my gifts. This is where my money goes. This is where my time is spent. I am invested in that church. I belong to that church. You know, there's not that sense of belonging now. People want to be just close enough involved in the church to where they can be blessed, but not close enough that they feel like they have to do anything, that they have to give anything. And so in all, in all of our churches, not just here at First Baptist, all of our churches, we have people out in the perimeter, and they'll never miss a service. They're always there. But they will not commit to being engaged in the life of the church. They just want to observe. They want, they want a blessing. But they don't want to commit. I wonder what it's going to be like to stand before Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm committed to you. But I refuse to commit to your church, your bride. There are people there that are hypocrites. There are they're, 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 they're all kinds of things wrong with the church. They don't do the things that I, they don't believe the way I want to. They, they Explain it to the Lord. How you love him. And yet you refuse to be aligned with his bride. If you're comfortable with doing that, keep your position. If you're not, then listen to me, and I love you. If you can't commit here, find somewhere you can commit and be a part of the bride of Christ. There's something imperative about belonging.
you become one of the nurturers. But there's another group, and let me mention these quickly. These are the disruptors. These are the disruptors. These are the ones who know how it ought to be done, but nobody ever does it the way they think it ought to be done. And they don't mind telling you. They don't mind explaining to you. They don't mind uh, that, uh, explaining how you're doing everything wrong or this wrong or believing wrong or acting wrong or whatever the case may be. These, the Bible are, are full of. Paul spent a great deal of his ministry dealing with disruptors. His letter to the church at Corinth was all about, not all about, but mostly about the disruptions. And listen, he called them by name. He didn't mess around. He said, I'm talking about Hymenaeus and Philetus and Demas and Alexander and those two women, Euodia and Syntyche. He called them out by being disruptive to the body of Christ. John and, and James and Titus, they did the very same thing. Call out publicly those who are disrupting. Listen, would it bother you to be engaged in an activity that God despises and hates? Would that bother you? It might not. But, but listen, listen to this from Proverbs 6, 16. These six things the Lord hates, strong language. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. What are they? A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to do evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. One who sows discord, disruption among the brethren. It doesn't say God says, no, 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 don't do that. The Bible says he hates There are always been and always will be disruptors in the body of Christ. But God calls us to unity. He calls the ministers and the deacons and the teachers and the spiritual leaders of the church to jealously guard the unity of the spirit in the bonds of peace. And that doesn't mean everybody has to look the same, act the same, walk the same, quack the same, quack. No. We're all uniquely different. But there is a sense that we have got to be together. We listen to Paul's plea in Philippians 2. He said, therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, any comfort in love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by, listen to these words, by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind, and let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than ourselves. We have to come together on the things that are essential and important. You know, we can have difference of opinions about the color of carpet, whether or not we need a chandelier, what instruments are preferred other than others. But we've got to be absolutely together and united when it comes to the essentials of our faith. Preferences are always allowed, but preferences are not on the same level as doctrinal truth. 
And that's what you guard jealously in the body of Christ from any and all disruptors. So listen, what what does God want us to do with this? Let's pull all this together. Love God, love people, serve both. Love God, that's the anchor for us. That's what it's all about. We do that by abiding in Christ. That's the center of the cross right here. That's abiding in Christ, living in Him, drawing our our nurture, our strength, our direction, our, our purpose for life from that. And then we're anchored into the ground by living in the Word. And then from from a heart filled with abiding and being anchored in the word of God, then we can pray in that truth. And we grow in this vertical dimension. But the cross also has a horizontal position. And one part of that that is so important to Christ is our commitment and our love for one another. Here's the question. How am I living out the new commandment to love one another. How am I living out loving one another in the body of Christ right here at First Baptist Church? How am I doing that? How am I expressing my devotion to Christ by loving his bride? And if I'm having problems with that, then I need to do something about that. I need to get to where my heart can be right and I can be full and fulfilled in loving the body of Christ. That may take a revival in my heart. It may take getting something straight and being reconciled with one of the brothers or sisters in Christ. It may just need, I need a heart change. I mean, I did. I needed to fall in love with the church. But you know what? I did that as a teenage boy. (laughs) And that love's only grown over the years. And I'll say again, the highlight of over half a century of ministry has been loving God by loving you. Will you pray with me? Father God, for us to be on good standing, for us to be on good, solid ground as we move through these days of finding and bringing in our our new pastor. Father, we've got to be anchored on the firm foundation of loving you. It's all got to be about you. Not our preferences, but your truth. Anchored in a growing relationship. Here's what I want to present in my heart to our next pastor. Pastor, I'm in love with Jesus. And I'm so in love with Jesus, I'm in love with his church and with lost people. Now shepherd me. Shepherd me. Be my pastor. Help me to do that. Help me grow in that. Oh Lord, what a blessed pastor he's going to be. To have a body of Christ like this, growing in their love relationship with you and offering themselves on the altar to Christ. Here, use me. I'm yours. I'm yours. Father, there's some here in our sanctuary and some at home who've never fallen into love with you.
And now's the time for that love to begin. As they've witnessed in baptism and heard in music and even in preaching, Lord, you loved us so much that you gave your only begotten Son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Right now, if there's anyone at home or anyone here today that would like to invite you, Lord Jesus, into their heart to cleanse them and forgive them and be the boss in their lives, if there's anyone here that would like for you to take their sins upon yourself so you can give them your life, Lord, would they pray with me right now and just say, Oh God, I want you in my life. I dare to believe that when you died on the cross, it was to take my sins upon yourself. And when you rose again, it was so that I could have your life. Come into my heart. Cleanse me and forgive me. I want you to be the boss in my life. Lord, every person that makes that decision immediately is born again into your family. The angels rejoicing and we want to rejoice as well. So in the next few moments when Ed leads us in this invitation song, will you encourage anyone here in the sanctuary that's made that decision to come forward and take one of our ministers by the hand and just say, I, I pray for the pastor. Lord, maybe there's some here that want to unite with this fellowship. They want to be a part of this church family. Will you encourage them in the next few moments to come and, and take Tony or Derek by the hand and just say, I want to be a part of this great church. Others may want to come to the altar and just pray. Lord, give us the freedom to do this. We can do this in family, can't we, Lord? That we can express our devotion to you as a family. Let it be so, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Will you